welcome to Dark Matter Uncovered in this special podcast series. Thierry and Adrian explore the breadth of opportunities in the emerging space sector, a new key pillar of the Luxembourg economy. Dark Matter Uncovered is a Lux Unplugged production supported by Hogan Lovells, a global team advising clients on their most complex legal issues on Earth and beyond. Hi, I'm Thierry, and welcome to another Dark Matter Uncovered episode. In our special space-related podcast series, Adrian and I speak to companies about the space sector in Luxembourg and beyond. After our summer break, we dive right in where we left off with our part two of our conversation with Hogan Lovells. I continued the conversation with Pierre Reuter from the Luxembourg office and George John from the US office. Pierre and George highlighted that there are often synergies between different jurisdictions when it comes to space law, but on other occasions where a company sets up their business can make a difference. And to no surprise, as we covered in our previous episodes with other guests, Luxembourg is continuing to be a favorable location to set up a space startup or to expand an existing space business. But now, without further ado, my conversation with Pierre Voiter and George John. Just moving on a little bit, but staying on the regulation side, you know, the European Commission has recently warned against a fragmentation of regulation for space and called it for a single market moment. So a single market moment and an EU space law. Sounds like music to lawyers' ears, I guess. What would this mean in reality for space companies in private and also for public companies? So if you look at initiatives of the European Commission in in other areas, and in particular, because that's my main area of expertise, investment funds, where since roughly 1985, there has has been a harmonized European framework to set up retail funds in, in Luxembourg. So the situation could be a little bit compared to that single or every country doing what they want to do and then putting a European framework around it. Well, what, what I can say is that Luxembourg largely benefited from, from that European framework in the, in the investment fund uh, industry, because as, as you know, we are the second largest investment fund center in, in, in the world and the first one on cross-border funds. So I, I see it as, as, as maybe something positive, provided that the European Commission gives um, a general, actually a general framework and leaves enough flexibility to the countries how to implement it. And that is important because not all the European countries are at the same level in their legislation in space. I suppose that some countries don't even have one. We are probably one of the most advanced. So in order to capture all all of this, it should not be that we take the lowest common denominator as it is unfortunately often the case in EU politics, but that we have a a framework, a pragmatic framework that is flexible and and that actually makes sense for the countries and in particular for the players that want to establish themselves in in Europe. Single market or harmonization of laws is always desirable, but actually hearing EU space law just generally, it's actually a little scary because space activities have multiple components. They have the radio frequency component that allows communications. Then there might be other activities. There might be remote sensing where you are taking images of the earth or other space assets or objects. 
there might be other activities like the space resource mining that uh, Pierre referenced earlier. And there's other activities like in-space servicing, assembly, manufacturing, and the list goes on and on. I don't know how one EU space law would be able to cover all those different facets, and quite frankly, it shouldn't, because some of it is already being handled by uh, EU-level decision makers. So think of uh, the radio frequency uh, example. You have CEPT or CEPT that handles a lot of that, and the European Commission also has uh, its body there. But on the other ones, like Pierre said, each country is different. Some have very advanced space capabilities. Some are still finding its feet. And some have launch capabilities. Some don't. Some will never be able to launch anything because it's a landlocked country. And they won't have the necessary water around them or other resources to be able to support launches, at least in the near future, with the current systems that are available. And so, you know, what does one EU space law actually mean? And would it actually be helpful right now? I'm unsure. And so maybe we take it in smaller buckets and have more general principles or guidelines or rules of the road. I think that would be helpful. And then... Each of the administrations could then, you know, further regulate as necessary. Well, you made actually a good point, George, um, because often we speak about space in general, whereas a thing as this actually does not exist because there are so many different areas, space resources, satellites, frequencies, space data. So it will be really, really difficult to put all that under one legislation and actually they should probably not try because it's impossible. What were your original thoughts and, uh, you know, when when the EU Commission came out with, with, let's call it a warning about a single market moment? Difficult to say, but certainly um, something very difficult to achieve. And the other comment that I made to myself is, is is that actually, is is this now actually the right time for this? Don't we have other problems to tackle? And, And actually in the space area, which problems do they want to tackle? Which precise problems do they want to tackle? That was a little bit, that were a little bit my, my initial reactions. And to use this part of the words that you had said earlier, it really is not music to my ears. <laughs> it's uh, it, it's a little bit um, it's, it's a daunting, like we just said, to try to harmonize across the many different activities. And there are probably other priorities that would receive greater uh, attention and benefit at this time. And the, the reason why I say this is. You see this European effort to launch a, a European-based satellite constellation for connectivity. And the amount of time and effort and money has gone into that initiative, and we're still probably many years out from it actually succeeding, should probably give an indication that you know, creating some harmonized EU space law is no easy feat. And you know it needs to accomplish something in the end. Like we said before, we're not quite sure what it would accomplish because there are so many different activities. So I'll leave it at it's uh, it's not something that necessarily our clients are probably thrilled about um, and something we'll be keeping our eyes on going forward. I think higher on the priority list probably and mainly for the general public is the topic of sustainability. Obviously, with what comes out very often in, in, in comments, uh, um, 
uh, in the media about uh, SpaceX or Virgin Orbital is the reuse of materials. Um, and on one hand, but also orbital debris uh, mitigation. Uh, what laws are being implemented to be more green in the context of space? So I actually disagree. I don't know that all these companies are doing green activities in space because of laws or regulations necessarily. Uh, it's more economic incentive that's spurring them. We don't just throw away an airplane after one use. We try to refurbish it and reuse it. And that same notion and economic reasoning is what's seeping into the space industry. But if you take orbital debris mitigation, what, what does it actually mean? Your satellites aren't going to collide in space and you're going to dispose of them in a safe manner. But your disposal of the satellite is you are going to have your satellite completely disintegrate in the Earth's atmosphere. We're assuming this is low Earth, so the large constellations that have been proposed, that those satellites disintegrate into the Earth's atmosphere. Okay, these are satellites that are maybe titanium and other metals and alloys. And in the mass, if you're having all that actually disintegrate in the Earth's atmosphere, are you actually, while you're disposing of the satellite, uh, increasing other environmental concerns? And truthfully, because you're having those satellites deorbit, to replenish your constellation or your service, you have to launch more satellites. So you're really just at net zero. You're not really gaining anything. All that said, you do see this notion that SpaceX and Virgin Orbit and uh, one of our clients um, uh, are developing not only reusable rockets, but reusable satellites. And what is going to be important there is they will need significant time and financial runway to make it work. And in SpaceX case, that it, it did actually pan out, but it took a number of launches and uh, uh, attempted re-entries before SpaceX mastered the re-entry. So the same can't be said for Virgin Orbit. It actually just, um, I, I believe it just had a recent failure, but what's of greater news is it recently furloughed its uh, employees. And it is going to be either bought out or have to hit bankruptcy. But that in itself shows the difficulty in reusability. So all that to say, I don't really think that the laws right now are spurring the green uh, initiatives that you'd hear in a terrestrial concept. Uh, it's really how can we keep space safe and usable going forward? Yes, that's green there, but when you're actually talking about the Earth itself and how space might be affecting it, uh, maybe we're back at net zero. Uh, more studies need to be done to really show what is this proliferation of space-based uh, assets actually doing on the environment. The other aspect of this is that um, the hope is probably that all the research that is being undertaken in that area might bring to light solutions how to increase sustainability etc on earth itself because the i have the impression that the industry is the space industry is inherently efficient but i agree absolutely with george that the drivers for the moment are economic drivers and and not the law which imposes the industry to act uh, in this or that manner so certainly still a lot of work to be done um, and, and that goes i think across all the different parts of the the space uh, space industry. 
Something I also would like to speak about is a space authorizations in the US and in Europe for, for companies that can obviously be very, very challenging. Um, what are the key differences for both the US and Europe? And mainly, how do you see each individual benefit? With the European regulators and the authorization processes, uh, we have heard from our clients and our general observations are that the, the process is much quicker. Uh, sometimes there are no fees involved and you can get everything done within a few months, really. And that's not to say that you might not have to make the same level of disclosures. It's just that these regulators um, don't, as, don't have as many laws that they need to check compliance against. And so Luxembourg will be a good trial run in, okay, we have laws on the books we have a number of companies now that we've authorized, but also have to supervise. And so as the number of applications increase and the number of entities continues to grow within Luxembourg, um, will we see longer lead times? Will we see more uh, application and annual regulatory fees? And will the authorization process overall become more cumbersome? And in places like the US, it's a little easier. I shouldn't say it's easier, but it's at least possible that a, a regulator can reposition some of its employees. So certain folks are now supporting more of the space authorization reviews, but in somewhere like Luxembourg, uh, like we said, it's a small country it has a number of priorities. Yes. Space is one of them, but are they going to be able to just very easily uh, move more folks over to support these uh, space authorization bodies? I, I, I don't know. And so as of right now, there, there are differences uh, in the processes, but you might ask, okay, so like, why would I just, why would I go to the US? I would just go to some other country to get my license. You have to remember that, yes, you can have a satellite license, but those satellites need to communicate with earth stations, whether it be for the telemetry tracking command of the satellites or to connect to the internet or to actually communicate with the user devices. It might be an antenna outside your house. It might be an IoT device on a train. Uh, every country that you're going to go into, you're going to need market access or landing rights. And so the US is it's a large landmass, and satellites are going to be going over it likely often. And for that, you might just need one or two earth stations within the country uh, for TTNC purposes or connecting to the internet. Uh, but it's also a large market from a business perspective. And so uh, you're going to need market access again. And so, you know, you could go to a certain regulator, but in the end, you might be talking to all of them and you might have to deal just with some are more difficult in different facets. If I may add to that is that often speed is seen as the determining factor, but I, I don't think it actually is or should be. Um, obviously, this is a fast evolving um, area, but once you have decided um, to establish yourself somewhere, I think what you're looking for is a mature jurisdiction. So with, a, as you explained, George, uh, certainty on what the rules are, how they are being construed, and that there will not be fundamental changes once you have set up your shop, um, but also the, the 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 expertise and the quality of the regulator. 
because I've seen that in other areas where you could uh, choose between different European regulators, but at the end of the day, even if we are in Luxembourg not the quickest anymore, nevertheless, a lot of people opt for Luxembourg simply because from the outside world, it is seen as uh, a stamp of quality to a certain extent. You have been licensed in Luxembourg, so that means that your business is sound. You have been authorized, I don't know where, well, maybe that was quick, not expensive, but is it is the, the, the registration and the license that, that you have received of exactly the same quality? Probably not. And that, that actually um, plays quite um, well into my next question. And I think, you know, we, we, we talked about that there is no overall boundaries when it, when it comes to space. But do you see that exactly the same, that uh, Luxembourg is kind of a, let's call it a quality stamp compared to maybe somewhere else? What I learned from my discussions with George is that, um, yes, the US is leading the way. Luxembourg has a nice niche, so to speak, but other countries, and in particular Germany, are catching up fast. Just speaking for myself and for Luxembourg, I think um, Luxembourg needs to refocus on on its strength and key attractiveness, which is um, a sound regulator, as I said before. Uh, but more generally, uh, I think what is important is the the broader environment in which you can launch a business in in Luxembourg. Tax plays a role. Um, talent is is very important. A multinational, multilingual environment is 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 important. But also, and we touched upon it earlier, the availability of of funding, which which is key uh, in that industry anyhow, and in these times in particular, I would say. I could ask you both as well um, on the recent turmoils in the in the banking sector. Does that have an impact overall on the investments in the space sector and potentially mainly for uh, space startups? On the banking question, we have felt the effect almost immediately in the space industry. What's been going on, and to give some context here, we've heard of some very large banks struggling <laughs> to find liquidity, uh, especially during occasions when um, their members or the, the folks that have money with them um, trying to take it out very quickly. And so one of the first like real moments that we saw this is with the uh, US-based bank called, or it's not US-based, US but Silicon Valley Bank in California, which has a lot of the uh, space companies' um, money it became an issue because they had uh, lended money to the company and in exchange, the company had to keep its money with the bank. And so when this run was happening on Silicon Valley Bank, these companies all of a sudden got frozen out of their assets that were being held within the bank. And for some of them, it might have been a fairly significant amount. For some of them, it might have been a marginal amount. But folks had to call us to let us know that they might not make their next um, – payment just to pay our legal fees, or they might need to do some type of maneuvering to help prop up the company so it looks good in front of investors despite this money being locked on the side. And so, yeah, the bank crisis that's going on, I don't know if I want to call it a crisis, but the, the current situation with the banking industry, it doesn't uh, stop at its own borders, right? There's uh, every, every single vertical 
every single technology, everything is affected because, for better or for worse, money rules. Uh, Pierre, for you, uh, exactly the, the, the same question, actually, but uh, obviously as uh, the financial standpoint uh, now have slightly changed since um, uh, Silicon Valley Bank, uh, Credit Suisse, and so on, um, and I'm sure, you know, advising clients on raising funds uh, from a legal perspective, uh, I'm assuming, I'm, I'm not going to ask now, what are the key challenges? We have more challenges now. Uh, so what is your standpoint there then at the moment? So I understand everything and the explanations that George has given, but to, to be honest, I don't feel knowledgeable enough to to comment on that. Also because it's still very fresh, but um, generally the economical environment is a different one than a couple of years ago. And one can definitely ask the question, generally speaking, not only limited to the space sector, what will happen to the financing uh, of, of startups? Uh, will banks or other actors in the financial sector still be willing to, to lend money uh, to, to these ventures? Or put differently, uh, will the money not be too expensive for, the, for these uh, ventures? I think, however, that um, the, the financial regulators and our politicians need to uh, look out for these startups because they are, and again, not only in the space uh, sector or industry, but they are generally driving innovation. They need to be able to obtain financing at reasonable prices. So it, it's 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 an important topic. And we, we must not underestimate the effects it can have. Well, and just before we wrap up, I think uh, what I would like to ask you is uh, how do you see uh, the legal space law evolving in the next five years from your standpoint, but overall as well for Luxembourg as a standpoint? We have previously already touched upon this topic a little bit, but um, in, in Luxembourg, the legislation might evolve, there will be no revolution, contrary maybe to other countries which don't have laws and regulations in place in place yet. So there will be increased competition. The question is, will there be something at European level? We discussed it previously. What will happen on, on an international level? Uh, because I said that at the beginning, um, for the time being, in particular, with respect to space resources, the uh, the aim is uh, to explore and use these resources for a peaceful purpose and, and in the interest of mankind. Will all countries see that in the same manner? I don't know. I, I cannot tell. Um, but um, I would hope that regardless where the industry goes, that Luxembourg will continue to to play an, an important role, maybe even an, an increasing role. And, and I'm sure that that's possible if um, we refocus on our key strength. Fantastic. And on, on that note, uh, Pierre and George, thank you very much for uh, joining me here on the podcast today. And I'm pretty sure that uh, we're going to follow that up in the near future. Uh, on how uh, both uh, countries and overall the space uh, sector is evolving going forward. 
You're very welcome. Thank you very much for inviting us. And, and, and it was a real pleasure discussing this topic, this very interesting topic with you. That was Dark Matter Uncovered, your special series dedicated to the Luxembourg space industry and beyond. Subscribe to our Lux Unplugged podcast feed to continue receiving future episodes either on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.